In this episode of Testimony, a Musician Story, presented by Soundseekers, rapper and coffee roaster Dre Murray shares his Christian testimony. Dre talks about how basketball and fellow Christian athletes changed his life. We discuss the NBA restart and comments made on kneeling from Charles Barkley and Sam Coonrod. Additionally, Dre discusses signing to Elect Records and his new venture into coffee. I am Galica Brown, and this is Soundseekers Presents Testimony, a Musician Story. The first thing I want to go over, if you can recall your first music memory, whether it be an artist that you heard, a video that you heard, or if it was anything dealing with you, like writing something, what's your first yeah. music memory? One of my first, because there were so many, because my brothers, um, like I grew up in the early 80s, so hip hop was like really just starting to be spread. It existed, but it was just starting to be spread. One of my brothers in particular wanted to be a DJ. And the other break, he was a break dancer. So there was always break dancing in the house and, um, you know, B-boy type stuff. And then there was a lot of vinyl records around. So some of my earliest memories um, were of them break dancing and, and listening to vinyl, like, you know, Run DMC or Red One. And with some of this vinyl, I still, I, I took from my brother Mo, his brother actually a couple years back that I, that I have. Um, so that's probably the earliest um, like pivotal moment for me was Beach Street, this movie called Beach Street in the eighties. Um, and it had this young kid on it um, that they fought by dancing and I, you know, break dancing. I thought that was so dope as a kid. And so that's, that's probably that and Crush Groove are like some of my earliest memories, just seeing these hip hop artists that you see on the vinyl and now seeing them talk and actually show personality was, was huge for me. Yeah. Those two movies. I definitely remember those as a kid. It was like a whole nother world too. If you weren't from New York, I mean, I was a kid on the West coast and I'm saying all this. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all had breaking out there though, on the way. I know it wasn't like beach street, but that they tried to create that West coast version of beach street, I guess. I, I, I dug those movies as well. Break in was, I think my favorite. Really? <laughs> yeah. As a kid, it was too. I look back on it now and I can see how people can say that's like the, the, the glossy corny version of like beach street <laughs> as a kid it was like this happy vibe you know what yeah. i mean so no it wasn't corny as a kid we didn't know what corny was <laughs> exactly exactly besides maybe new kids on the block like i had to hide yeah. my love from new kids as a block <laughs> you said <laughs> hide that i did like their music video would be on and i'd be up there uh uh, uh. <laughs> if somebody would come in the room i would just stop it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome we didn't know though we didn't know we liked what we liked as kids man awesome okay so that was that was a new one i wasn't really expecting you to go that go back to like (laughs) early 80s and breaking and all that that was fun yeah okay and then so you were a kid you grew up in houston right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um was it a two-parent household no um my my dad and my mom and my dad split when I was about maybe eight or nine months. Um, unfortunately, my, my dad was in the Vietnam War uh, for a short period of time. He was in the Air Force and he came back with uh, a heroin addiction. And I don't know if he was, you know, doing heroin prior to that, but it, my mom became aware of it, I guess, um, shortly after I was born, I believe, as the story goes. I didn't hear the story until I was like really, really, uh, or I was old, much older. Um, and, you know, he tried to go to, to rehab and, and it, it didn't work and then they, they split. So I grew up with my mom and then we moved in with my grandmother um, when I was probably about three. Um, and then from there, it was like my grandmother and my uncles, two of my uncles. I had two older brothers. My uh, girl cousin moved in at one time. It was just a full house uh, once we actually moved into a house in Houston. So, but yeah, no, no dad. And then, I mean, heroin is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Rick James said cocaine is, but. <laughs> yeah. 
that's like that's a whole nother beast um do you mind if i ask about your father now like what happened with that yeah he uh so i started going i got a car in 2018 my cousin sold this little bitty uh, honda civic to my mom and i started venturing out into to houston and i had some conversations with him prior to that and i seen him maybe every six or seven years he would pop up uh but i started going to his house when i was 18 and was able to drive and so we built somewhat of a relationship never like a father-son relationship um never talked about things really just kind of skipped over him and unfortunately he, he passed away in 2016 he had diabetes and he uh uh, had some complications in the, in the hospital um, as they were trying to amputate, you know, uh, some things to save, to save him basically. And so me being his only child, I was his only child. He had remarried, uh, but she passed away prior, you know, prior to him. And I was his only child. I, I really had to deal with, with all of that and take care of his affairs and, and not, and not knowing him really, really, like I, like I said, my kids have been around him some, but then me being in Oklahoma now, that just made the separation even, you know, further. Um, so I really didn't get to see him that often as I got older. And now I'm going back to Houston, digging into his affairs and trying to figure out who this man was uh, in the same year, you know, just was it five months prior, my son was born. Uh, and so he really didn't get to see my son. Now I'm, I'm <laughs> dealing with the birth of my son and the death of my father, and I didn't have my father. So it's like this weird thing that hit me all at once in 2016. So that was a been a rough patch uh, since then. I, I finally kind of, I'm not, you never really get over it, but, you know, started to to get better probably about a year ago, I think. No, that's crazy. That's yeah. a lot to deal with. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Um, like I said, not really being around him and and having somewhat of a relationship, but then having to make the decision to like, you know, go ahead and let him go and planning the funeral and you know selling his house and just all kinds of stuff that you know dealing with other family that I don't really know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. It was a lot. It was a lot to deal with, but, you know, it was a learning, a, definitely a learning process, something I learned for, from for sure. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So then going back um, in Houston, so you're in this full house. Mm-hmm. And how do you get to know Christ in that household? I didn't in that household. Um, as far as, and I, and I say that kind of really, I hesitate because we did go to church and I was introduced to some spiritual things and baptism. We went to church every once in a while, um, but I didn't know what it was all about. And so when I was 18, I played basketball in, in high school um, and I was trying to get to the college level and I was going to these camps and, uh, you know, just trying to create as much awareness as you can. And there was this one camp my coach sent me to, he was a he was a believer, um, and he sent me to an FCA camp. Me and a, another friend of mine, and my grandmother had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and so I was dealing with that, and I had some kind of foundation, um, you know, not foundation, but just seeds that had been planted along the way, and and at that camp, they, you know, we went to champ, chapel all the time, and it was it was right in my face, and it was a different type of it was actually getting specific uh with walking out this life and discipleship and all kinds of things and so i got on the stage and i decided i you know that i wanted to become a, a believer it's crazy that i was president of fca in high school and i wasn't really <laughs> i wasn't really a christian at all but i was i just it was a lot of girls there so i became i worked my way up to become the president and um but I made this decision and then I went back to school and I wasn't plugged into any type of church. You know, my friends that I was around were not believers. Uh, I was in, I was on the South side of Houston. There wasn't a, my environment was, was not, you know, healthy. And uh, 
So about it lasted for about <laughs> as far as my seriousness in my walk, probably about three weeks. My friend that was there with me, he made a decision as well. And we were like, man, we're not going to sin anymore. We just not sinning. Ever, like, like, ever, you? ever singing again. <laughs> like, how does that, man? How does it happen? <laughs> we're, at the, we're at the movie theater, at AMC theaters with all of our friends. And we're telling them, like, we're not, we were acting like it was a diet or something. Like, we're not going to eat meat again. It's like, yeah, we're not going to sin anymore. And they were like, yeah, all right. See how long that lasts. And about two or three weeks, I think we were back on the same, you know, uh, <laughs> on the same mission that we were prior to to the camp. Um, but then I went to a Christian college and played basketball for a Christian college and got introduced, reintroduced again, lots of chapels, um, you know, and then, you know, it, it, it stuck, uh, my, my second year in college, it really stuck and God, you know, put the fear of God in me <laughs> and, and, and it was, uh, it became real, you know, and I realized how much I needed him as a savior, not as this uh you know fictional character in the sky but like somebody that could actually come and save me from the, the darkness that i was in and so it really became real around that time but i had to get out of houston i really had to i wanted to go back home a lot but i had to stay where i was in oklahoma and, and let it sink in yeah so that kind of like brings up like two points for me one with you going to the fca camp i went to an fca camp once for basketball mm -hmm. i loved it the little huddles and everything and yeah i still have like my till bible <laughs> quiet time you go to quiet time <laughs> like and i remember that feeling when i left like like you want to stay in it like you do have like this mindset of yeah i'm not gonna sin anymore mm -hmm. and i was even pen pals with my huddle leader like we would yeah. write each other but if there's no if there's nothing that you can go to when you go home, mm -hmm. if there's no church, no like life group or youth group or something, then yeah, it's going to fade. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hear the same thing with people who are involved with like young life. They go away to these camps mm -hmm. and then they come back home. So there has to be like some sort of bridge, something that, that keeps people connected. Yeah, um, that's and then the, the second point about you saying you have to leave Houston, you have to leave home. I feel like for a lot of people, you have to leave home no matter where home is for you um, in order for you to just go through that whole process or something about like, I don't know, um, you know, being just solo. I don't know. It just seems like there's something there. Yeah, no, there, there definitely is. And it's the, to your point, like when you go home, not only was I dealing with the external things outside of my home, as far as like the environment of Houston, but my mom and my my brothers that they didn't they weren't at camp with me they didn't know what was going they just they knew that it was a fca basketball camp right and so i went to go play basketball and it's kind of like while my mom did want me to to be a a good person the specifics of the gospel were kind of foreign to her at that time and so me it's like learning a new language and coming back home and, and now I'm speaking Spanish in the house. They're not going to understand what I'm talking about. And so, um, you know, to even share that with somebody with this excitement, you get kind of shot down. Like, you know, like, what are you so excited about? And then my, my mom's twin, uh, she is uh, a Jehovah witness, a Jehovah's witness. Um, and so, and she's been, you know, faithful to, um, to that, that religion, that tradition for, you know, man, since I was a teenager. Um, and so she knew the Bible, she knows the Bible inside and out. And so for me to present an idea to her, and she's someone that I love, me not having no, no experience with the Bible is kind of like, you know, I was impressionable. And so while we didn't, we didn't study the Bible together, that was something I was afraid of was even telling people about this experience that I that I had, because I knew they wouldn't understand. Yeah, I just had a conversation with a guy named Paul um, Hernandez, and he was saying the same thing, like he went away to camp and he would go to camp like every year, but his father wasn't a believer. So he talked to his father. His father thought he was a fanatic. Mm. So yeah, it's like you're, you're on fire for Christ and you want to tell the world, 
but you're also afraid of how you're going to be received. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a big, a big fear of mine. And I'm an introvert already. So I'm just constantly in my head. And that was something I was in my head about. And until you get around other people that, you know, have that same experience, um, you keep it, you keep it hidden. And then eventually you're not expressing it on a daily basis it just it dies or it starts to die and wither away and that's what that's what happened to me until I until I got plugged in at college so at college then was it just the group of people you were around they were like solid believers like how did it stick there um my first year and a half there I was I was off the chain like I was I was away from home uh, I was a really good athlete, and so I was hanging with a lot of the seniors, and uh, I had met them prior to that because I was at that. I was another camp that I went to. I went all of my little league coach drove me all the way to Oklahoma to go to this camp because his nephew went there, and so I knew some of the guys on the team uh, because his nephew was like my cousin. And so when I got on campus that summer, uh, I had a fake ID the first five minutes I'm on campus I had a party to go to um you know so it just took off from there and so my first year and a half my environment was still sick and even more so now because I'm 400 500 miles away from home I can do whatever I want (laughs) and so um but my you know that sophomore year the second half of my sophomore year God I believe you know for whatever for whatever reason um I don't know how this all works, but uh, it's this guy named James Mann. He he uh, transferred from uh, OU, Oklahoma University, and he played basketball uh, at my school. And his mom and dad, they were pastors. And, uh, you know, young black kid like me from the area, he's from, the, he's from California. So he had a whole different vibe to him, always smiling, you know, has swag on you know we say that anymore but it was like he was like me but he knew the bible and it was just the way i'd never seen that before and and then another uh guy that turned into be one of my friends the school that i was at um for the camp the fca camp he went he played college ball there he transferred to the school to my college the same year to play basketball so it was myself uh, Cedric and then James Mann is the, the the guy that his parents were pastors and I and Cedric was a Christian just like James was a Christian he's from Houston like I'm from here so it was more I was able to relate and then James just he gave me this speech one day not just me it was other people in the room but I felt like he was talking right at me um, and it convicted me and I didn't change overnight I didn't change the next week or the next couple weeks but that just stayed with me and just played out. And then finally, you know, but you know, there's other circumstances involved, but that second half of that, my sophomore year, I just, I just surrendered. And then instead of me surrendering and now, you know, not having a healthy environment, now I have James, now I have Cedric. And not only am I seeing him every once in a while, we basically live together because we're on campus together. And, we're going out of town together for road trips, for basketball. So it was like this perfect storm to where everything just came together um, to where I had other believers in my corner. And then I started to venture out and go to James, James's uh, mom and dad's church and, and started, you know, befriending them to where they became mentors of mine. Um, and so, yeah, it was just all about my environment just changing and people that actually I could relate to. It wasn't a thing that I, I felt like, man, I could never achieve that. It was now people that looked like me, walk like me, talk like me, love some of the things that I love, but they also love Jesus. It was like, man, why, why I could do this. You know what I'm saying? Like I can actually, I see it now. So yeah, that's how I got, I plugged in and it stuck. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, in the beginning, it, it seems like it can be, it can be foreign, but mm-hmm. as soon as God gives you like that squad and yep. your environment, like mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty much, it's like, 
it's not going to say it's a breeze <laughs> because no, it's not. life is not a breeze period and being mm-hmm. a Christian doesn't make it any easier, but it does, um, it does make the, the walk a little bit more. I don't know. You can walk through it a little bit more gracefully with God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. Cause like similar thing happened with me as far as him giving me my squad. Cause you feel like so alone. You're like, there's mm-hmm. nobody I can relate to. And then when you meet someone, it's like, what? Wait a minute. Yep. Yep. You like me and, and you love Jesus? What? Yep. what? You actually, you know the Bible? <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to feel that. Um, so, yeah. God will give you your squad. You want it, mm-hmm. you pray for it. Like, I literally have told people, I'm like, I, <laughs> I prayed for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I prayed for it. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be you, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I needed this in my life. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, well, just one quick second. Um, You're kind of not centered in your video. Oh, I'm going to do that. That looks better. Is that better? A little bit. (laughs) Okay, that's better. That's better. Okay. All right. So, you played basketball in college. Yes. What position? I uh, played small forward or, or anywhere on the wing. There were just two wings. So Okay. Yeah. And we had the basketball, the NBA restart. Huh. That's what <laughs> we're calling it. <laughs> that's that's what the little the hashtag is, NBA restart. <laughs> that's what that's what we're calling it. The the restart. I don't know about that. <laughs> what are your feelings on that? It it feels like uh like a AAU tournament or a, uh, you know, one of those tournaments where you, you go out of town and there's nobody in the stands. You mm-hmm. get up at the butt crack of dawn, you go to Burger King, and then your coach loads you on a bus, you roll in and you play and nobody's cheering. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you're tired and then you got to do it all day long. That's what it feels like to me. For, for, for a lot of guys that I know that play ball, you probably can relate. That's what it looks like. It's just with a lot more lights and, you know, yeah, NBA. cheering. <laughs> it's whack, man. I saw it in baseball first. Uh, I was watching the MLB game the other day. It was on, and, and they were talking about the fan cheering thing. And and it, sound, it sounds real, but it's, it's just weird because there's nobody there, and you're hearing, and it's like, it's like the laugh track on the, on the TV show. Uh, it does something to your mind, right? It's like, were they doing this all along? <laughs> I think they were adding some of this in the background to, yeah. to get us excited. So, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off. I think you were going somewhere with that. but No, you I didn't cut me off. No, because I definitely did want to talk about that. I mean, I felt the same. The The energy was just totally different. Um, yeah. I was just like, what is up with, like, these these virtual, like, bands? Like, how does that even work? <laughs> it was just so weird. It kind of felt with you with the the AU um, like tournament thing that made sense because I was like, it's kind of like a kind of feels like a scrimmage, but a little mm-hmm. bit more energy than a scrimmage. And then there were times where it felt kind of video game ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. So, yeah, that was really weird. Which is weird all in itself because you know the feel like we 2020 already feels like we're in assimilation so now you're like <laughs> so now you're like you got the guys on screen looking like a true video game it's like where where are we like i can't i don't know man i don't know if i'm gonna watch i really i'm not interested at all to be honest well i have to say the first game what was it, the pelican in utah i, I couldn't get uh-huh. into it but the clippers and lakers game that I got into. Yeah, okay. especially the second half. The first half was kind of like, mm, but the second half, that was, I was like, okay, I can do this. Depending yeah. on the teams, I can do this. Yeah. But it, it definitely did. The gyms are closed around here anyway, and I haven't been able to play. So that's part, part of my bitterness is that <laughs> <laughs> I can't go out and play. So it's like, well, how do they get to play? Uh, <laughs> and I know they're making a ton of money doing it and people want to see them, but the more I watched, like I had that feeling when I was watching the last dance, it's like, man, I used to watch Jordan and then I would go outside 
and yeah. you know, shoot, shoot around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now I just gotta sit here and watch. <laughs> like, you know, it's not doing it for me. You need to the little nerf ball and hoop in the house and <laughs> we got we got one. It's not it's not it's not, not the same. <laughs> Be throwing my son down and <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a chance to hear the national anthem, the new little remix? I I didn't. I knew I knew that in football they were doing um, what I guess what some would call the 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 black national anthem. Is that was that what they did? No, yeah, it was um it was all instrumental. They had the artist John Baptiste mm-hmm. compose it. So it was so crazy. Like it starts off and it sounds kind of like the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And then like the beat changes and I swear it's the sample from like, what is the song? Like get down on the floor. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. A lot of people use that. That yeah, 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 yeah. So that came in and then he threw in like some electric guitar. It was just, he weaved a in lot. a lot of different sounds. <laughs> and I saw like some tweets from from um from non-colored people uh-huh. <laughs> just like i'm not not down with this anthem <laughs> like what yeah, yeah 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 um, i didn't know i didn't hear that i'm gonna go check that out to see <laughs> yeah i didn't see that at all yeah i definitely checked that out um and everyone was kneeling for the most part well i it looked like to me everybody was kneeling the whole time yeah um and then did you notice like the jerseys with the statements on them? I knew that they were doing that, but I, I didn't see who, who was wearing what. Um, they, you know, I, they were tweeting out that this person had decided on this and that person decided on this, but I didn't actually see them. Yeah, it was kind of confusing at first because I didn't realize, I didn't know that. And I was like, somebody's last name is Freedom? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's a great point. Like there's... There, and you know you watch basketball, but imagine a person that doesn't really watch, and now they're getting into it, or because they were just you know sports is on, sports is back, yeah. or even the the casual fan that's not on social media like that. It's gonna be super confusing. It is confusing, and some of them kept their names. Like um, I think Davis, the Lakers, um, he kept his name on there. So okay, it is definitely confusing. Um, and then I don't know if you got a chance to hear what Charles Barkley said. I, I I remember seeing the clip online and listening, but then I went and read, uh, after reading your email, I went back and read uh, an article with, you know, quotes of, of what he said. Um, and yeah, it, it's Charles. Uh, I don't expect, he's always spoken his mind. Um, and it's something that, that's the quality I appreciate anybody. And if you really, the problem with a lot of these statements that people are making is that they they quickly get politicized on either side and once you see the response from your favorite media outlet that you're following whether that be whatever side of the aisle whatever you know whatever it is you just subscribe to that feeling almost you your emotions have been captured uh but I try to think objectively and try to step back and read the quote of what he was saying. And what I think, and, and this could have been a misunderstanding or a miscommunication on his part as far as not receiving the information correctly or what was going on. But what I think that he was saying at his core is that to hate another group for not, you know, loving you to to hate everyone in that group now or to say certain things that would be viewed as hate towards another group um that in itself is is wrong as a believer i subscribe to to that i'm not going to attack you know you verbally uh or a group your your the group that you belong to verbally just because i feel like there are people within that group that um don't treat me a certain way don't treat me as a human um and i hope this coming across the, the right way but it's it's i think it is in its simplest form that's what he was what he was trying to get across and the message gets lost because it turns into a binary thing to where it's just this or that and not 
looking at the nuance. Like nuance is gone. <laughs> New nuance is nuance left a few years ago, but it's in 2020. Just it nailed it in the coffin. There is no nuance. There is no conversation. It's just which side are you on? <laughs> but look, let me let me give you my no 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 no. Which side are you on? Left or right? Up or down? Like whatever. Like which side are you on? That's that's all people want to know. Yeah, and, and it's if like, you're on bro, the wrong side, we're canceling you. Exactly. Without an without an explanation, without a conversation, can we can we have a cup of coffee and sit down and talk <laughs> through this? Like just five minutes ago, you said you love me and my family. Just five minutes ago, you said that I had the hottest song or whatever or whatever. Just and now I'm canceled. Like and first off, how can you cancel a human being? How can you cancel me? <laughs> like that from where I'm from, that's starting to sound like a threat. First off, like I don't you know what I mean? Like canceling. You wanna cancel me? Like I don't I don't get it. Um and a lot of the people that's canceling people, I I honestly believe um that they've never had any type of real dispute in their life or confrontation in their life. And this is a chance for them to be confrontational without uh, without being on the receiving end of uh, what may happen in, in, a, in a true confrontation. It's just you can tire whatever and, and leave. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's, it's unfortunate. But Charles is Charles, you know. Um, but I have to say, like, I honestly didn't see anything wrong with what Charles was saying. Yeah. He, he, was just, he literally said, if people don't kneel, they're not a bad person. Which, mm-hmm. on the flip side, right, if people don't stand, they're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, everyone was upset with Colin for kneeling, mm-hmm. and now people are going to be upset with people for not kneeling. Now, but at the same time, what is your reason for not kneeling? Right, right. That's what I think it comes down to. Uh, yes. That, that heart intention. So, Which no one can know, yes. right? Which yes. no one can know. And then the problem is when you come out and you voice, when they ask you why, and you state why, on either side, you state why, the other side says you're lying. So it's <laughs> like you asked me a question, I gave you an answer. Yeah. And now you're telling me I'm lying without any evidence of me lying. Yeah. You know, uh, digging in my history. And it's just, it's, it's, it baffles me. We cancel people that have stood up for certain things their whole life. And they get to a certain point and they just, they just disagree slightly with something that's going on. And they are no longer, all that stuff they did in the past doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I was reading uh, this Martin Luther King biography. Um, he has a ton of them out there, but uh, I was reading, reading in, in where, you know, talked about John Lewis and uh, his um, Snick days and, and Stokely Carmichael and, and just the, the disagreements that they would have with Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, everybody wanted the same thing, but they were trying to get there in different ways. Um, and then I went and I would watch video. I would read something and I would try to find the video of it. And there was this beautiful moment where, um, I wish I could, I would try to send you the link where Stokely Carmichael is walking there. He and Martin Luther King are marching and there's a reporter there. And the reporter is asking them a question about their methods. They both disagree while walking. And, and there is no, Hey man, they are stating their side of the argument in love, why they, you know, disagree, why Martin is wrong, why he, you know, Stokely is wrong. But then you go to the book and they talk about the behind the scenes and they were like really beefing behind the scenes. And it was like some heated arguments at times and things were said, but in public, we're just going to state what we have to state. We're going to handle that business. That's family. Uh, closed doors. That's family that. business. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know that you're a genius. I know you're trying to get somewhere that I'm trying to go. We just disagree on the method. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's who we are. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunate that we can't do that now. 
Because yeah. even with like, I mean, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, there are people who are on different ends of it. Like we all like for the most part, like everyone's for, yes, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. but the like what's behind it, like how are you trying to achieve that? Mm-hmm. Um, what mm-hmm. goals are you trying to just the methods mm-hmm. are can be different. Yeah, absolutely. Um all right, well going back to the whole kneeling and then choosing not to kneel. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the Sam Coonrod, the Giants pitcher who said that he wasn't going to kneel because he was a Christian. I, I didn't see that story, but I'm sure it's it's similar to some of the others that I've <laughs> that yeah, read. It is. Um, his statement is, I mean, no ill will by it. I don't think I'm better than anyone. I'm a Christian. I just believe I can't kneel before anything besides God, Jesus mm. Christ. So, I mean, that's, oh, I did see that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. That was like, I think last week or maybe the beginning yeah. of this week. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, being a Christian, shouldn't that be more reason to kneel? Would Jesus kneel? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, that's, that's a tough one because, because even with Christianity now, even with G, like, like what, what Jesus are you talking about? And and I mean that in a way of of the um, interpretation. Like we used to have disagreements back in the days about you know certain interpretations, and then you would say, "Well, we agree on the core ideals of what it is." So this is just ancillary stuff. Like this is just things that we can not overlook, but we just agree to disagree. Now, man, it's the whole picture of of what's going on. Like I don't know. When we say Jesus, what are you talking? It used to be when we say God, what what God are you talking about? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I might not, say, but now it's Jesus because, and it's and I guess it's always kind of been like this, but now because it, there's a political um, um, component to it, to this whole argument, because it's now, you know, white Jesus first black Jesus and, and where did Christianity come from? And it's, it's becoming more of that in the conversation. So now it's really coming down to, and I think the, the, the other stance would be you're worshiping white Jesus, you know, and Mm -hmm. and because, because you don't want to, and it's like, I don't know, like, what, what are we talking about? Like, what's the actual discussion about? Are we talking about Jesus or are we talking about, this stance that you're taking for this cause, which is, and again, I'm speaking right now, I'm, I'm speaking object. I'm looking at both sides. I'm not taking a stance. I have a stance, but I'm not taking a stance right now. So what, again, back to what you said, what is the reason for you saying that? Cause even with you saying I'm a Christian, um, you know, I only kneel for, I would only, I don't know what the exact quote was, but even if even with you saying that, it's like I don't know if we are agreeing on the same idea of Jesus based on the scriptures. Even we can read the same scripture and disagree, um, so it gets even harder to like determine what someone's true motive. I mean, you really can't anyway. But to to when they try to put a a name to it or a face to it. Like I'm doing this because of this. We might not even agree on what the, this is like, you have a different, this than I have, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, so with those situations, I'm just kind of like, man, that's him. That's what he wants to do. And, And you have, he has to deal with those consequences. You know what I mean? Like, because there's going to be backlash and you got to be man enough to stand up to that backlash. And so that's all I can, I can say about it. True that. True that. And good point. Like, well, we'll never really know what anyone's true intentions are, what their heart is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let's get into the music. Awesome. <laughs> so we <Woo>! have testimony. <laughs> <laughs> Move past hot topics, get into the music. Yeah. How did you even get into music, period? How'd you start rapping? Um, Again, going back to that 80s story, like my 
my brother tried to be a DJ. My my oldest brother, my brother that was in the middle, he was breakdancing all the time. It was constantly hip hop around, and I can just remember we were in apartments, and then we moved to a house, a rent house, and we had this um, stereo system. And I just remember one day them plugging. I don't know if it was the headphones that they plugged in or a microphone. I'm, I think it was the headphones, and we just used the headphone as a as a mic. And some kind of way, my brother figured out that you could use that to record your voice. And I got hooked on hearing my voice back. It was just weird. And so from there, I just kind of would make, and I see it's crazy. I see my daughter doing this all the time, like making up songs. And I would start making up songs uh, just in my head and, and, and messing around. And then from there, when I was in fourth grade, uh, there was the D.A.R.E. program. Uh, Nancy Reagan came out with the D.A.R.E. program after I remember. You know, things were done that we, it's a whole other story. It was the cover-up after, but D.A.R.E. came, right? And it's like this uh, movement against drugs. And our school were passing out these D.A.R.E. t-shirts. The bear was there, or they had the bear stickers or whatever it was, and you had to do a project on D.A.R.E. And I wanted to do a song. And so I I conned a friend of mine that was like in fourth grade, he was what you would consider a nerd. He wanted to learn how to play basketball. And I was like, I'll teach you if you hook up my radio and make me be able to record. And he did. I don't know. I don't remember how he did it, but I was able to put a tape in, an instrumental tape. I think it was like DJ Quick, uh, Quick's Groove or something like that. Um, and I recorded this, I wrote and recorded my first like song against drugs and gun violence in the community. And, and from there, it just, it, it took off. Got with one of my cousins who his dad had some equipment and we just would record and mess around all the time. So from eight years old on, I was hooked. Eight years old, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had older brothers, so it was like, you know, you see them doing certain things and, and you want to, you want to do it quicker yeah. than what they did and better. <laughs> so then how did you transition? Cause I know you weren't doing Christian raps then. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I was at 12 years. <laughs> Crazy. Some of stuff you didn't know about, hopefully. To a certain extent. <laughs> yes. But it was stuff that I definitely, there's a lot of stuff that it was real. Yeah. But, but, you know, I wasn't actually shooting people. <laughs> yeah. So how did you transition to Christian hip hop? In college, um, once I became a believer in college, I was already, I was still rapping. I was, I found a studio in Oklahoma City. It was like the first studio that I, a real studio I went to and recorded. This was prior to me being a believer. And once I became a believer, you know, that was one of the struggles I had anyway, was like, God, what am I going to rap about? <laughs> like, I, you know, my, is every song going to sound the same? And um, once I became a believer, I just, I tried to write a song and it didn't sound like uh, what you would consider a Christian hip hop song now, but you could tell that I wasn't, I wasn't on the type of time that I was previously. And from there, the more that I, you know, got plugged into church and was my environment began to change. My lyrics began to change as well. And then people started to actually uh, want me to, to use that in certain spaces. So whether it be going to an apartment complex in the area and they have like a block party for the kids or whatever, um, or, you know, even on my campus at chapel, you know, I was allowed to, to talk about my, my testimony and then do a few songs. And so, the more I was encouraged to do that, it just kind of took took a life of his own. Um, and, you know, my, I think my oldest brother, had, he was a believer before I was. Um, and he introduced me to Christian hip hop. And so I had some of that in my head already of what a structured Christian hip hop song would look like. You know, most of my songs, it was like two verses about the dark stuff in, in the last verse is like, okay, we're going we gonna to get to the, the redemption of this whole story. Like every song pretty much, pretty much is like that. And then the last song would be this, you know, 
all right, now close your eyes and say this prayer with me. And and so it was like this structure that I had early on, but it it built me up in the faith for sure. And then I saw you posted a few weeks ago about Gold Rush, maybe one day. It was the seven-year anniversary of that album. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Let's talk about that, like, Collision Records experience, because it was definitely a moment for the Christian hip-hop culture. I mean, mm-hmm. as a fan, that, for me, that moment stood out the most, like, every wow. Collision did and put out. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was God bringing this. I look back on it and just see how even prior to me signing with Collision, like things were starting to percolate and build up to where it would make sense if all the artists that were a part of Collision got together um, without us even verbalizing it. You know, Wit, um, who's, you know, super producer, worked with me. He began to work with the guys that were involved in Collision. Um, and slowly we begin to, our paths begin to intersect even before Collision. Um, and so I had Swoop on project that I had prior to Collision. Um, me and Alex collaborated prior to that. Uh, just before I signed, I, Chris, Kristen Gray, he and I collaborated on something. And so it was just kind of this whirlwind that we were all swept up in that we couldn't stop if we wanted to. Um, and then the We Live as Kings thing just took us all by surprise because we were individual artists. And then like that, we were a group. <laughs> it's like we didn't sign up to be a group, but you got the number one gospel album in the country. Like, what does that even mean? And to be, you know, being Billboard magazine because of it. And we didn't even tour that project. We didn't really hit the road at all. We didn't see each other that often because we were so spread out. Um, and so it was a, it was a crazy time. I'm sure it looked different on the outside than what we knew was going, going on on the inside. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience from, you know, an artistic standpoint, whether that be me having to like rewrite lyrics, uh, because we, I submitted them to the group and I'm like, what do you think about this? And now it's not a bunch of yes, men. Now it's people that's like, that you can do better than that like let's let's do it again so i definitely learned in that regard then from a business standpoint um there were so many things that were different from a business standpoint of of like having a third party accounting firm send you your checks versus you know it just being out of a shoebox or uh (laughs) or you know having somebody else set up interviews and set up your dates and having itineraries and it was it was a lot man to to learn and um i i love the experience there were ups and downs with it was just like with anything in life but i look back on it and i'm i'm grateful for it the friendships that i had at the time and yeah it was a it was a definite time in christian hip-hop like i hadn't really experienced before even as a fan Yeah, and even, I mean, the We Live as Kings album, I listened to it probably about a month ago. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it stands the test of time. Like, that album Mm. still slaps. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't heard it in so long, man. I haven't heard it in a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. For me, I probably hadn't heard it in, I don't know, like, five years or so. Wow. I mean, it just, like, randomly shuffled onto a song. And then I was like, this song still, I was like, I forgot about this song. <laughs> check out the album and like straight through. I mean, cause the intro, everything to the end. I was like, mm-hmm. great. Album still jams. That's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that album at first because it didn't sound like that. Like we, <laughs> we laid our vocals in different places. The production was like bare bones at first. And then Swoop went, he flew up with, uh, to Delaware with Wit and they sat for probably a week to two weeks and just added all that stuff that you hear uh, the transitions and the and so when I heard the final I was like this ain't the album I heard before because I'm telling you when I first heard the first version I was like man this is I don't know yeah I don't know how people are gonna receive this but it turned out amazing and now you signed to elect records 
Yes, I like recordings. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. And what about the decision to do that? Well, Josh, who is the owner of Elect Recordings, he helped a lot. Well, Josh is an industry vet, first and foremost. Like, yes. he used to be the, uh, he used to run Uprock Recordings, which was a part of Tooth and Nail and BC. So he had, you know, Tunnel Rats and Propagandas, or some of Propagandas early work and KJ52 and uh, you name it. And so then with Elect, a, a whole gamut of other artists that are, you know, classic artists. He worked with Collision during that time that you're talking about. So a lot of the awareness that was created around those projects, he had a hand in on the PR side. And so um, we built a relationship from that point, just in, in passing kind of. And then um, after I left Collision, he still was somebody that he loves helping. Like there's a lot of artists that I know that have never signed to elect that Josh has helped out as an independent artist. And he's, you know, done a lot of work for them behind the scenes. Doesn't get a lot of credit because he, he doesn't, he's not all in the videos or like <laughs> he's behind the scenes. And so See, Josh does, Josh has connected me with a lot of artists as well. Really? So all the interviews I've gotten has been with the help of Josh. Like Josh yeah. is a dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the, like we don't have a big machine for Christian hip hop, but he's one of those cogs in this little machine that we have that keeps it going, you know? And so I just built this relationship with him. And a couple of years ago, we started kind of talking about what that would look like me being a part of elect. Um, and last year in November, I think we just decided that it was time to like partner up and we worked everything out, but I didn't sign until May. I didn't sign a contract until May because I was still trying to figure out um, the independent game as far as streaming and all that and algorithms. I wanted to know some of that stuff before I just jumped into a situation with somebody else. And so he has a better understanding of it than I do because he does it on a daily basis. But he's definitely somebody that I wanted to partner with, you know, that I feel comfortable. You know, here is what I have. What can we do? Uh, with this, um, and my Andy, he, he like sent a message to. I told him my wife was because of everything that has happened in the past. She was apprehensive about me signing with somebody. Um, she's like, "What can they do that you can't do on your own?" Basically, um, and so he thought it it was serious enough to actually send like a voice message through to where he addressed her and said who he was and laid down what he does and what he wanted to do and you know, how much, in, in, you know, he was invested in me as an artist. And so that made, you know, a lot of difference too. Like, you know, for somebody to do that is, is yeah. huge. Yeah, he didn't have to do that. And yeah. I saw the post you did um, when you were signing the contract and you had a really mm -hmm. long post about your wife and your daughter. One, your daughter thought that you were giving up rapping. Mm -hmm. and she didn't want you to give it up. Um, and then your wife about how, she was there with you when you were trying to hustle CDs out the trunk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do yep. you, can you elaborate on that as far as just like your family and their involvement in, in what you do? Yeah, I want to get them involved even more because the collision time, like I have three kids now. My son doesn't know anything about the collision time. He's born in 2016. My, my second um, oldest daughter, she's the one that didn't want me to quit and was asking questions she's very much like me and making up songs all the time my oldest is is creative as well but she my my second oldest just as far as the music is concerned um and so there i want them to be more of a part i want them to see me doing stuff to inspire them because like i said my wife you know she was there with me breaking down jewel cases and had her family putting the CD, burning the CDs and putting them in the jewel cases, putting the flaps on. Like she was there with me passing out CDs on the street for free. And she's like, maybe you should start selling these uh, <laughs> so you can make some more CDs. <laughs> like it's cost money. Um, and so, yeah, I want them to be included because um, they're where I gain most of my inspiration from now. Like I don't listen to a whole lot of music. 
uh, <laughs> anymore. Um, I spent a lot of time with my family, though. And, you know, I want them to, like I said, my kids to be inspired creatively by what I do and to to hear what I'm saying in my music um, instead of just me sitting them down for a talk. They can actually listen to something and, and get it because they, they love music. And so, yeah, it's, it's a huge part of part of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. And how do you segue from like music into the coffee business? <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting is coffee say coffee made the gold rush or helped make the gold rush project. Uh, oh, okay. I had four di- I had four days to to lay down vocals for that project. I was at Wit Wit's house and we were in his downstairs where the studio was. And I slept on the couch right next to the mixing board and stuff or the or the interface and the booth. And um, we would stay up late and record. And I he introduced me to, I drank coffee before, but he introduced me to like, you know, a, a higher grade of coffee than what I was used to. And I fell in love with it. And not only that, it was like, man, I would wake up in the morning just, I remember waking up writing Benjamin's curse like that, like super fast. Like, man, I want to say like 30 minutes or something like that, just sitting down and just writing, writing, writing. And then him coming downstairs and I'm like, let's like, let me record this really, really quick. Or, um, seven, one, three, like just hopping in the booth and Wes Pendleton being there and making the beat and me just hopping in the booth and just going and just doing it. And and I know some of that was just where I was creatively at the time, but coffee had a big <laughs> part to play in that in my alert being alert. Yeah. Well, and so do what? You said it was a little stimulant. It was a it was definitely a stimulant. <laughs> and then from there I just fell down this rabbit hole of, you know, what door what's behind this door? What's behind that door? And that turned into me meeting people that knew me from the music but we're also lovers of coffee. Um, like I'm as a girl, there's a company called Onyx in Arkansas, well-known coffee company, uh, roasters, and serve specialty coffee. There's a barista there. I'm on this group now with all of these black baristas and coffee industry people. And she was one of the ones on the group. She works for Onyx. And she probably messaged me and was like, you know, We Live as Kings, that album impacted me so much let me send you a bag of coffee. And I was like, dude, this is crazy how the coffee industry and the hip hop world just, it just intersects so much. There's another guy that was at the first We Live as Kings, the unofficial We Live as Kings show. It was this, my signing day. Mm-hmm. They announced me as an artist in at Whedon, Whedon College in Illinois. He was at that college, he was at that show now he was in essence magazine uh yesterday for his coffee uh roasting company coffee black okay. uh bartholomew jones and he's an artist as well we talk all the time and i told him the other day i was like man this is crazy that at one time you he actually opened for us at that show and now you're giving me game on the coffee side and i was like this has just come full circle to where he's giving me plugs with you know podcasts in the coffee industry other roasters and so yeah it's kind of like a natural it's not that far of a jump you know what i mean it, it really isn't when you come from a hip-hop space and your is your company the black gold creative is that black gold creative yes that's that's the name of the the overarching media company um i'm starting to roast my own coffee in uh ah um you said like you know ah coffee but that's the uh, the initials for each one of my kids uh aubrey hallie and houston um and so that'll be the the coffee roasting company that i'm that i'm building aside from black gold creative okay that's dope that's exciting yeah so how would you say that god's presence looks like just in your life um just in general personally with your business ventures and all of that family i was someone that would go back and forth all the time about like, is this God's plan for my life? Like on small decisions, does God want me to do this? And it was the way that I was taught. Uh, 
that, you know, and I remember hearing uh, a sermon or, or something. It was just like, you know, <laughs> so, and, and it was, it, there's a scripture in Proverbs um, where it just basically talks about the, you know, your, your action, your action is where it determines, you know, God blesses your, your action or essentially you, you begin to act and God will stop you if it's not the correct way. Like if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, um, I feel like I am in tune with the Holy Spirit. And if I'm venturing out somewhere that I'm not supposed to be, that I'll know that this is the wrong way to go. And so now I spend a lot less time pondering things and going back and forth. And so um, I like to take action because I'm trusting that if it is the right or wrong way to go, that I'll be notified. And if it's the right way to go, I also know like, man, this is amazing. You know, and, and I know that, you know, there are some things that you, I feel like the things that I, that I used to do back in the day where it was like, Oh, this is amazing. But I knew that it was wrong. Like, you know, that it's wrong. It just feels amazing, but mm -hmm. you still know that it's not the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. There are things now where I'm like, man, this is amazing. And I have that same sense of like, this is, this is a godsend. Like this is supposed to be this way. Um, and so that's how his presence is now. It's, it's not more back in the day. I, I just was a, more insecure. I wasn't as confident. I wasn't as confident in the Holy spirit, like confident in what God had already done in my life. Like, you know, I wanted, it was like, I was putting Jesus back on the cross every day, <laughs> like, you know, doing that over and over again when he's kind of like, you know, we did this already, dude. Like this <laughs> two thousand and three. This is two thousand and twenty. Like, why would you? You you have you got this basically. You know what I mean? Um, you're trusting in me. I'm not. I got you. Like Peter on the boat. Like just walk, dude. Just walk. Like I'm not gonna let you fall. If you begin to slip, you know I got I I got you. You we have to trust in that. So. That's where I am with it right now. I, you know, about the action right now more so than the, is this God's will for my life? Should I eat this burger? Or should I? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll eat meat, but you know. Yeah. Okay. About that action, action, yeah. action. All right. So, new music. When are we gonna get that? Well, I dropped the. Well, I didn't drop. Elect dropped the single today that I'm a part of called Better. Uh, Sivion from Deep Space Five is his his song I'm featured on it with Sojourn, and uh, I think you pronounce her name Rianne Darling is a, a vocalist. Uh, but I am working on a few singles right now for Elect, and I already have a project that you know is probably about as far as the recording probably about eighty percent done um, that will be released on Elect at some point in time but i also want to do another project um and just you know figure out which which will come come first uh, so very soon though like very very soon I'm, I'm i got some stuff recorded now that'll be released fairly quickly uh on the leg so i'm excited about that nervous but i'm excited i'm excited i'm sure a lot of people like myself are excited to hear something dream i hope so man because social media is deceiving like you just don't <laughs> It is, man. Like, you just don't. I have to snap out of it sometimes. Like, yeah. I this mean. It's not real life, bro. It is It is deceiving and it is hard. And sometimes you feel like you're doing things in vain. At least I know I feel like I'm doing things in vain sometimes. I do I do too. <laughs> I do too. I'm like, this This doesn't feel, this feels yucky. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I, I get you. I get it. Yeah, but I definitely have missed just your voice. So whenever I see anything with the Dre Murray future, I get excited. I was feeling that better single, that single jams. Um, and then I got excited when I saw that you were on um, Brinson's project. And I already talked to Brinson about this. <laughs> so excited to see the Dre Murray feature. And then I was disappointed. What it was just the hook? <laughs> It was just the hook. I'm like, are you serious? I even went back and played it. Like, played it again. I was like, did I just miss it? <laughs> <Is that bad? laughs> 
That's Brinson's fault. What what did bro? I'm curious. I haven't watched it. I'm gonna go watch that episode. But what what did he what did he say? He basically it? was like, "Well, there's always." He said, "There's always room for a remix. We can do that." Oh my gosh, <laughs> he gave you that. He gave you that version. He gave you that version. We're gonna work on something soon, man. We've been talking like that's my guy. Brinson is like my real friend. Um, yeah. Out of the people that I've met in this industry, I can say that he's like one of my real friends and so we connect on stuff other than the music but we need to to connect on something soon with me doing a verse and not just a hook with you doing a verse for sure (laughs) all right um my last question for you is you've done a few interviews with me who would you like to see me interview wow that's a great question um i'm gonna take it back let me think I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take it back, back, back. I would like for you to interview, do you know, you know, Serene Poems, right? Yeah. From LA Symphony. Mm-hmm. He's on elect as well. And, and the reason why I say him is because he was a part of a legendary crew, the LA Symphony crew. Um, and I'm sure he has some crazy stories. about that time and then his he's expressed this in music as well just his relationship with his father that whole relationship uh or i don't know how you would call it lack thereof or or whatever the case but um yeah so that's somebody that i would want to hear from and his voice is just amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, so all right yeah thanks for that and thank you for taking the time to talk with me Yes, thank you for reaching out. You know, I don't get a lot of requests these days because I'm not doing that trappity trap rap. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm 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 appreciative of this, and uh, yeah, I much success to you, and, and I'm glad that you're back doing this because there's not a lot of voices, and definitely not a lot of you know female voices in in this circle in this space, and we need perspective. <laughs> we need the the other side. You know, I I don't like being in the room with a bunch of, you know, testosterone all the time where it's just this one mindset and everybody's saying the same thing. So thankful that, that you're doing it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please subscribe to our show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking. For all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown. The music lover constantly seeking positive music.